Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. You know, you gotta see this. Look at this. not seen that yet. Congratulations. Thank you. Start getting everything. Okay. So I can't believe it. What is it? You gotta be kidding me. That's great. Hey come here, you gotta listen to the story. I have something to show you. first. We gotta tell her mom something. Your mom and my mom. Peter! John! Come see this! The tomb! It's empty! So we've been spending this post-Easter time uh, talking about our relationship with God and our relationship with others, how we are drawn into closer relationship with God through the resurrection. Uh, we're drawn into closer relationship with one another uh, through the resurrection. That through the resurrection, everything changes. The nature of, of who it, God is with us. Uh, the nature of of how we relate to one another, the, the commonality that we now have, the relationships that we ha now have, the, the hope and the confidence that we now have, it, it transforms everything, and it certainly transforms our story. It changes our story, a story that is good news, a story that is meant to be shared. And so as we're looking through, and we'll, we'll wrap this up this Sunday, as we, as, we, as we wrap up and, and look at who we are as, as resurrection people, we see examples and we see stories shared by Jesus that, that help us understand who he is, helps us understand who we are. As he's, as he's talking to and, and walking through ministry with his earliest followers, he, he shows us what it means to live and relate to one another in light of the resurrection how our relationships change. We can live and relate to one another in a, in a more attentive way. We can be bold. We can be vulnerable. We are disciples of Jesus. And so the first disciples were in the process of learning these lessons. They, they traveled with Jesus for three years in his ministry, and they, they tried to soak up every bit of the time that they had with him. But then Jesus had been executed. He was buried. He was dead. And, and there was a huge crisis of faith for them now. That the one that they had been following is now gone. 
he's dead. The one that they had put their hope in was gone. And now all is lost. But death doesn't have the final word. They go back to the tomb that Easter morning, and the tomb is empty. Jesus appears to Mary. She, he appears to the, the other disciples. And the impossible now happens, that, that flesh and blood are on the other side of death. And it is now standing in front of them, alive and well. They're now confronted with this reality that Jesus is alive and everything changes and hope is restored. And Jesus presents himself and gives what what Acts chapter 1 calls convincing proofs that he is very much alive. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 this morning, if you want to be turning there. The resurrection gives him authority to speak, not just as teacher, but now as Messiah. Because Jesus is no longer dead, because he he rises from the dead, he now speaks with the authority of a king. And so they spend the next 40 days together, Jesus and his disciples, continuing to teach and continuing to instruct, and, and they are listening to the risen Christ. They have witnessed this. And so there's this eagerness, this excitement, this sense of anticipation that things are changing. Something new is happening. Hope has been restored. And Acts chapter 1 gives us this scene of Jesus and his disciples one last time before he ascends back to his father. And so Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? So there's this question. You're you're back. You're not dead. When are you going to restore the kingdom? There's this question of when and where. And can you just hear this sound from Jesus, this audible sigh that they're missing the point yet again? that he keeps trying to instruct them and give them this picture of what's happening, and and here they are not getting it again, asking this question of when he will restore the kingdom. They're missing the nature of the kingdom. They still don't get it. they're, They're looking for an earthly kingdom. And so the question on everyone's mind is, is when and where? You're risen from the dead. We've been going at this for 40 days. Where's the kingdom? When is the kingdom? And so Jesus speaks and makes, gives these two responses. He says in verse 7, he, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus tells them, the when and where really is not your concern. You're worrying about the wrong things. I told you to wait for the power of the Spirit, and and when that happens, you're going to become this unstoppable force. That you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Not just here in this town, but through the entire region and even to the ends of the earth. Throughout the world. 
witnesses. You will be my witnesses. And so we can think about this idea of being a witness as, as someone who has seen something, someone who has witnessed something, and now they bear testimony about what it is that they have seen. We see witnesses in a courtroom. But there's also this idea that a witness can mean the actual evidence or the actual proof of something, that something can be a witness of something. I've given the example before where, where a memorial service was the witness to the wide circle of a person's influence. So there's a large gathering of people for a memorial service, and that is a witness to the person's life, to the person's influence, to the relationships they formed. And so that is the witness. So our lives, who we are, are witnesses to the kingdom of God, who we are bears witness to God. Our community of faith is a witness to the character of God. Our lives will reflect the resurrected Jesus. Our very existence is a witness to the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit and through that power, the world will know the character of God. Through you and the power of the Spirit working through you, the world will know God. And that really is the mission of the church, empowered by the Spirit. So continuing in verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so just as they think they, they have Jesus back, he's died and he's lost. And then he rises from the dead, and he's back. And they have him back, and now he leaves again. Just as they think that they have him back, he, he disappears again. He's taken up into the clouds. He's, he's gone. They think that he's there to establish his earthly kingdom, and, and, and they're asking this question of when and where, and then he leaves. And they're standing there looking up, just staring up in the sky, wondering where Jesus has gone, and what are they feeling? Are they baffled? Are they confused? Are they shocked? Are they frustrated? Are they disappointed? What are they feeling as, as they see Jesus leave? Or, or maybe, and hopefully they have some sort of memory of his final instructions that we were talking about last week in John 13 through 17, where he promises that they will not be alone where he tells them he has to leave. Or maybe they're thinking about Mary's testimony of when she saw him at the tomb, and he said, I have to leave. I have to go back to my father. But here they are, staring up in the sky, not completely getting it. Because then these two characters come and say, why are you just staring up in the sky? Why are you looking for Jesus up there? They stand next to them, and remind them that they will not be alone, that Jesus will in fact return. And as we, we looked at last week, we see that, that Jesus sends the Spirit 
to empower his people. These two characters say, what, what, what are you standing around for? Jesus is gone, but, but you've got something to do. There's something to be done now. There's work to be done. And so the time between, between Easter and the full restoration of the kingdom is a time to be witnesses. To be witnesses. In the meantime, between the two, there's this promise that, that the same force which empowered Jesus will be present to empower the church. The church is about the work in that in-between time. And so there is this message of hope. And so they redirect their line of vision from Jesus' past and on to his future, that he will come back. But we don't just stand around looking up at the sky waiting. Verse 12, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they were, went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. And they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And so this new com community is formed. This new community is now left behind. And so they head back to town, go up to the upper room where they are staying, and they pray. After being told to be witnesses, to, to, after witnessing Jesus ascending and, and seeing him leave, their first response is prayer. Constantly praying. What does constantly praying look like? They're waiting for God to act on his promise of the Spirit. They're constantly praying. What does constantly praying look like? It's more than bus busyness, more than human effort, more than church activity. They're constantly praying. They're waiting for God. That, that their mission requires more than just earnest striving. Their mission requires more than human efforts. They're constantly praying. And what are their prayers? Maybe they're thinking back to Jesus' words in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 verse 9 says, So I say to you, ask. And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks the door will be opened. And so could it be that they are constantly praying that God open the door for the Spirit? God open the door for the Spirit. Send the Spirit. Empower us with the Spirit. Fulfill your promise. Open the door. Or maybe they're thinking about Luke chapter 18, where, where Jesus told, it says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Always pray and not give up. And here they are constantly Praying, always praying, never give up.
things need doing. Things need doing in the world around us that go way beyond our ability to accomplish these things in our own efforts. The call on us to be witnesses requires more than our best effort. The call to be witnesses is more than a class that you take. The call to be witnesses is more than showing up to church. The call to be witnesses is more than some evangelistic formula. The call to be witnesses requires prayer. And out of that empowerment, we will be the witnesses that God calls us to be. And so it's important for us to remember that that we are witnesses, our lives are witnesses, and that we have a story to share, that there is good news that needs to be shared. We, we saw in this video clip where, where, where text messages are going around, and there's, there's this news to be shared, that if something good has happened, you want others to know. And for us, as people of the resurrection, there is good news. There's good news. And so what is our story? We have a story to share. And so Jesus says that we will receive the power of the Spirit and that will cause us to be witnesses. He doesn't suggest that you be a witness. This isn't off of a multiple choice list of spiritual gifts. He says you will be witnesses. Our lives will be witnesses. Even if you don't have the the gift of evangelism, you will be a witness. We have a story to share. And yes, we have different giftings, and, and yes, we have different personalities, and yes, we have different opportunities, but we all have a story. And we will all be witnesses. Not because we are really gifted at talking to strangers, but we will be witnesses because we are all empowered by the Spirit. And the Spirit wants the story told. And so the task of members of the community is to be a witness to Jesus. And this means more than just simply telling our story of of our faith and our transformation, although that's important. But, but the community of Christ, the church of Christ, is, is proof and evidence of the work of God. The very fact that we are gathered here today is proof and evidence of the work of God. People will experience God through us as a community of faith. We are Christ's witnesses. And so we bring in, we bring in, our time and place, the truth of God and the truth of the gospel. We talk often about how how mission is often something that we think about for someone else somewhere else. But mission is not for someone else somewhere else. The mission of God is for all of us, for all people of the resurrection. And the church in its very nature is a mission and a missionary endeavor. It's not a committee somewhere else. That all of us, the very, the, the, all of what we do is about the mission of God. Our very essence is to, to seek to be Jesus 
and to be his witness in all the world. In all of our words, in all of our deeds, in all of our life, we gather here, or if we're scattered in our communities, we're called to be witnesses. And so the church doesn't just exist to provide some sort of, some sort of social experience for its members. This is not just a social gathering, although socializing happens, sometimes longer than needed for some as we get started. <laughs> socializing happens, socializing is important, but we do not gather for socialization. We gather to bear witness to the gospel. We don't exist to satisfy our personal preferences. We don't exist to satisfy our own personal desires. We exist to bear witness to the gospel. And so the church exists to tell the story. We are storytelling people to bear witness to, to the new creation in Jesus Christ. And so the church here is, is just a beachhead of that new creation in the midst of the old. That here we are, trying to tell the story of Jesus in our lives and in our words and our deeds and our actions. But Jesus reminds us that we don't go on our own strength. We go in the strength of the outpouring of the Spirit. And so we're, we're reminded that, that before the church is a, a giver, before we are giving things, before we are doing things, we are a receiver of the Spirit. And so the task of, of being a witness is incredibly humbling. To think that God would charge us with telling his story, I don't want anybody else telling my story. You think about the, the different movies that are produced that are, are, are biographies, these different biopics that happen. And who gets to tell the story of this celebrity, of this famous person? Are they picky about who gets to tell the story? God says, I want you to tell the story. I want you to tell it. You're not the master movie maker. You're not the big producer. You're not the gifted televangelist. You. I want you to tell the story. I want you to be my witness. And so as we look at this, at, at, at the, at the post-Easter disciples and, and look at who they are and, and what they're about, it wasn't really until they, they experienced the power of the kingdom that they were really able to fill, fulfill their calling to witness. They had to know the full extent of what was going on. They had to experience the empowerment of the, the, empowerment of the Spirit. And so just knowing Jesus in person was not enough for them. Just knowing about Jesus is not enough for us. Even, even knowing Jesus in his physical presence for those disciples was not enough for them to be witnesses. And so as we've journeyed through this, this series over the last seven weeks, we, we've seen two different images of Jesus that are, are key to our understanding our role 
as witnesses. And so the first image that we've had is, is this image through the resurrection, that Jesus dies, he is dead in the tomb, three days later he rises from the dead. And so through the resurrection, we see that there is victory over death, that he has authority to speak as king and Messiah because of that victory. And this gives hope for his disciples. There's hope for us because he has been victorious over death. And so the resurrection gives us hope. But then there's also this image of the ascension of Jesus, that he tells Mary and he, he tells his disciples in his farewell discourse. He tells them that he is returning to his father. And because he is returning to his father, the relationship with Jesus changes from a physical relationship to a spiritual relationship. And because he's returning to the Father, his, our relationship with God is changing, that we now have an intimate relationship with God in the same way that Jesus had an intimate relationship with God. He tells Mary that his relationship with God is the same as our relationship with God. He calls God Father, and because he is returning to the Father, we can call God our Father. And so through the ascension, our relationship changes because when Jesus leaves and returns to the Father, he does not leave us alone. He sends us the Spirit. And now we are a Spirit-empowered people. What they didn't even have with Jesus physically present, they now have the empowerment of the Spirit. The disciples are now empowered. We talk about how, how great it would have been if we could have been there with the original disciples and seen Jesus in the flesh and, and seen his physical presence and been able to, to encounter him at a physical level. But what we're told is we actually have it a lot better. Because now that Jesus is back with the Father, we have the Spirit. And that's where the power comes from. And so there is a closeness that we have to the Father through the Spirit. And there is an intimacy that we now have with God that was not available before. And so our story now completely changes. Our story is not just a story about a, a fact of who Jesus was. But our story is about what the Spirit is doing now. Our story isn't just about historical records. Our story is about the power of God moving, expanding his kingdom, and our call to bear witness to that. And so our, our witness, our story comes not from facts, not from head knowledge, not from academic pursuit. All of those things are good and valuable. But that is not where our story comes from. Our story comes from an intimacy with God. A relationship with God. It's not knowledge. It's not academic. It's not a faithful adherence to rules. It's not showing up to church frequently enough. It's through our intimacy with God, our relationship with God. And that's where our story comes. As people of the resurrection, we are people empowered by the Spirit, and our witness comes from that intimate relationship with God. And so through that relationship, 
will have the ability to follow his commands. This command to go and be my witness, this call to go and make disciples, we can only do that through the empowerment of the Spirit. We can only do that through a relationship with God, not just through an academic pursuit. And so even though even though we've not experienced the closeness of Jesus' physical relationship, we've not experienced that closeness of, of physical touch and his healing hand and his, his warm embrace, we have not experienced that with him. We have something far better. That we can build a deep and real relationship with him and with one another because of the gift of the Spirit. We can share what we have. We, we can share what we've seen in our life. We can share what we've seen in the lives of others. We have a story to tell. A story of Jesus who died and was buried and miraculously came back to life through the power of God. Defeated death, making him king over all things. And because he's with God now, we have the power of the Spirit moving through us to be his witness, to share that story. And so we share our stories with one another. And these stories can give encouragement. They can, they can, they can bring healing to those who are broken, and they can bring, bring encouragement to those who are hopeless. Our, our stories bear witness to the powerful, loving work of Jesus and continue to build and it continues to build God's kingdom here on earth. But it will not come through our own efforts. So let's stand together. I want us to, to read this prayer together from Ephesians chapter 6. That as we think about sharing our stories, that brings such fear to most of us. It's easy to preach from up here. It's easy to talk about. But when you get into your workplace, when you get back to school, when you get into your neighborhood, when you get out into your community, and you're in this spot where you need to be sharing your story, it gets a little scary and hard. And so we pray for boldness. We pray for fearlessness. We pray that it will be the Spirit working through us because it is not in our abilities to share our story. It's in the Spirit's power of working through us. So let's pray this out loud together. Pray also for me that whatever, whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Let's start that again. Ah, oh, man. It's like nobody's reading along. I clicked the wrong default. So we'll do this one, whatever version this is. Pray also for me so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. Much better. That works. May we speak boldly, declare boldly, 
through our actions, through our words, through our relationships, through our intimate and close relationship with God, through our relationship with one another. And so we need to stand together and provide one another encouragement to remind one another of the story. And so we gather on Sundays in part to provide that encouragement and that strength building to one another. That we're not alone. Tomorrow we will feel alone in that workplace. Tomorrow we will feel alone in the community, but today we are not alone. And we remind one another that tomorrow you will not be alone. Because the Spirit will be working through you. If you will open yourself to that. And so we're going to move into a time of communion where we spend time at the table together reminding one another of the story. And so we have this, this bread to remind us of who Jesus is, to remind us of his sacrifice for us. And we have this cup to rem- re- remember the, the, the bloodshed for us. And in the taking of this bread, in the taking of this cup, we are reminded of who we are in Jesus. And so if you are new here, we've got tables uh, set up over here. We're going to have a song, and, and we can move to these tables and share in communion. But then this is also an open, open space for us to pray with one another, to encourage one another, to speak to one another. And so maybe you feel like, like there is someone that you really need to be sharing your story with. And you need courage to do that. Seek someone out to pray with you for courage this week. Maybe you've gotten to a place where you're discouraged and you've forgotten what the story is. Not intellectually, but in your heart. And so seek someone out to pray with, to remind you of the story. Whatever things are going on in your life outside of this one hour together, Seek out prayer. Seek out times of encouragement with one another. This is an open time for us to minister to one another. Let's pray.